Amen. This is a wonderful weekend that we have to be able to kind of come together. Some folks will be having uh, cookouts and some people just having some fellowships together. Maybe it's a time of reprieve for some people, uh, just to rest. I know that um, many are out of school now, most all of us. So there's a praise that's there for our kids and teachers alike. And it's a great weekend to be able to celebrate in so many different ways. I even see some folks who are here visiting with us. Of course, we've got a lot of folks who are visiting with others as well that are gone. Those are great things, wonderful things. But let me encourage you not to forget this weekend to stop at some point and give thanks for the freedom that the Lord has given us. Stop for a moment and remember those who gave their lives for us so that we could come and worship here this morning. You recognize that we have the freedom we have this morning because there were those who gave of themselves, literally gave their lives for us. That's the reason we're here and we can worship in such freedom. We give thanks for that. And I encourage you to remember in the next couple of days how God has blessed us with that type of freedom. And I pray that you would celebrate that and remember it as you come together as families, with families and friends. But also we recognize as we come this morning that that example of giving was multiplied. It was exponentially multiplied by the Lord Jesus Christ who gave us the spiritual freedom that we have this morning. So as we celebrate freedom, we celebrate the civil freedom we have. We celebrate the political freedom, what God has given us. But we also celebrate the spiritual freedom that we have from him. I want to talk to you today I want to continue this message series, if I can, on how God does give to us in so many blessed ways. I hope that you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 8, the 8th Psalm. Last week, we spoke about how we have life through God. And we gave the example of Christ Jesus and how He came to pay the sacrifice for us. He came out of love. And he provided for us life. That was the specific and the most supreme example of giving. Now, what I want to ask you to do today is actually ascend to the heights with me. I want you to to climb about 30,000 feet, if you will. Now, I know that makes some of you nauseous already. If you're like me, I'm not one who likes to find high spots. Some of you say, how in the world could you deer hunt like you do? Well, oftentimes I climb up in the morning while it's still dark so I can't see the ground. And I stay until dark that evening so I can crawl down not seeing the ground. Just don't like heights myself. But what I want to encourage you to do today is to ascend a little higher with me. In other words, last week we talked about the specific supreme example of Jesus Christ and how he gave his life for us, how God gave his only son for us. But what I want to do today is kind of is kind of to move upward and to be able to get a larger view of God's giving to us in our lives. Psalm 8, King David is writing. I think he captures this idea of God's grace and God's giving to us as he celebrates, as he praises God for who he is and for what he's done. Notice what King David pens here, what he writes. He says, O Lord, our Lord, How excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. 
Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Notice here, David is just breaking out into praise to who God is and what he has done, and he reflects upon the responsibility that we have before him. I want to give you two truths from this passage today, okay? Just two. Some of you think, I'm getting out early. Holiday weekend. He stole 15 minutes from me last week. Now he's giving me 15 minutes back this week. I'm proud of him. But two truths that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, this. Our God is the owner of everything. Our God is the owner of everything. Now I want to emphasize just a moment, our God. Because I think David does in this passage. Notice in verse 1, and then of course you'll see the last verse, verse 9. He says, O Lord, our Lord. Now in your English translations, you have it there. Maybe you've got a, a physical Bible in front of you. Maybe your Bible is on your iPad. You're looking at it now. But most likely in your English translation, that first reference to Lord is in all caps. Right? Yes. Those of you in the gathering, I can't see you, but I think you're nodding. Because you're much livelier than this bunch is down here. I I didn't mean to say that out loud. I apologize. But the first Lord is in all caps. Now, you and I, we've been studying the Bible, many of us, for some time. So what does that mean? That means it is referring... To the title Yahweh, the name of God, the covenant name that was given to Israel, that was given specifically to Moses. Remember when Moses said, God, I don't know who you are. God said, oh, yes, you do. I am who I am. I will cause to be what I will cause to be. I am Yahweh. And from that point on, that name was associated with the covenant God of Israel. In other words, this was Israel's God. So the first reference is to Yahweh. The second reference is to this Hebrew Adonai, which also means Lord, but it means more like master. So what David is saying is, Oh God, oh Lord, our covenant God, the one who has cared for us, the one who has loved us, the one who has entered into relationship with us, our Lord and master, I believe it is your name that should be recognized in all the earth. So in other words, David is recognizing that the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh, has a claim over all the earth. He recognizes that he has, this God has a claim to be glorified through all of the earth. It's this God, not just some other God, not just some God that you would find in a different 
geographical location, another God from another culture. He, he says, no, it is our God. It is this Lord. It is Yahweh. I know you know this, but I just want to say it out loud. When we come here to worship, we don't worship just any God. We don't just worship another God. And, and we don't even say that our God is just as good as any other God. I want you to know that when we come to worship, we worship the one true living God, the one that has been identified as Jesus Christ, who is far superior than any other God that you'll ever find in any geographical location or any cultural construction. Our God is supreme. Our God. And he owns all things. Our God does. He is not limited by geographical boundaries. Again, in the Old Testament, some of you have been here on Wednesday nights and you've heard me teach through this over and over. But in the Old Testament, there was this idea that this deity was over this certain location. Whether it was uh, Phoenicia or whether it was Israel or whether it was Assyria or Babylon, they all had their local deities. And it was believed that those deities ruled that area. And those deities had claim over that territory. But what the scripture teaches us is that our God, who yes is Yahweh God, the same God of the Old Testament that we serve today, this God has claim over all the earth. He's not limited by boundaries. Our God, his name, his personhood deserves to be praised in all the earth. Our God. Notice what the scripture teaches us that our God is the one who owns everything why because he is the creator of all things our God is the one that we worship again when you read through what David has to say he speaks about how he can use weakness to bring strength how he can actually silence the enemy and the avenger because of those who are weak and his empowerment of those who are weak and then look in verse 3 when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? So in other words, David is reflecting and he's looking around at all of creation. He's thinking about the moon and the stars. He's thinking about the heavens, the work, the creative work of this Yahweh. He recognizes that this God is the one who created all things. That's the God we serve, right? He is the creator God. He is the one that has created everything that we see, everything in this world. He is responsible for its creation. And if he is the one who created it, then he has the claim to it. He has the authority over it because he created it that also brings a sense of insignificance and perhaps reflection in our lives that's what david does here he's looking at creation and he's overwhelmed he's thinking about the heavens and all that he sees and all he, all of a sudden he's just overwhelmed you ever been like that before when you look at creation and the beauty of it the greatness of it the grandeur of it and all of a sudden, you're just, you're just overwhelmed. 
Yes. It's okay. It can be interactive from time to time. To look at all of creation and to recognize how extraordinary it is, how complex it is, how wonderful it is. My family in just a few weeks will be going out west. We're going to uh, the Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix. Because there's so many Southern Baptists out there, they decided to have it out there, I guess. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're going out and uh, we're going to be there. So pray for us, by the way. That's only a couple weeks away, but do pray for us because we're driving the whole way. And all six of us are going. It'll be a wonderful time, a wonderful moment to get closer to the Lord probably uh, as we travel. But we're going to go out and, you know, I've, I've, I've seen pictures of the West. You know, after we finish in Phoenix, we're going to go up and see the Grand Canyon, do a couple of things before we head back. And, you know, I have seen pictures of it. I think it's wonderful. But, but I'm just looking forward to standing there and marveling over the creation of God. And when you marvel over the creation like David does, you begin to recognize how insignificant it seems that you are. In all of creation. I mean, that's what David does here. David's saying, I'm looking at all of creation. I'm looking at the moon and the stars and all these things. And he says, what are we as, what are we as men? What am I as just a man? How insignificant it seems just in the whole of creation. How insignificant I, I appear, I seem. Because when we look at creation and we recognize that our God is creator, it begins to demonstrate his greatness and, yes, our weakness. We begin to recognize that. But as creator, he owns all things. He is the one who sustains all things. He is the one who keeps all things. This God that we have. So today when we come into this place, we praise him because we know that his name should be praised over all the earth because he has claim over it, because he is the creator of all the earth. He's the creator of everything that we know and that we have. And as the creator, that means he is the owner, that he owns everything. Randy Alcorn, who has written a book called The Treasure Principle, has really helped us flesh out this idea of God's ownership over creation. I would encourage you to read this book, The Treasure Principle. You know what I'm going to do? Actually, we're going to do something a little different today. And I just felt everybody groan inside. But I'll tell you what we're going to do. You can find The Treasure Principle in some Bible studies we're going to give you this afternoon. Some of you are worried you got to come back. You ain't got to come back. What we're going to do is we're going to email you this afternoon, okay? And you're going to get an invitation to join something called Right Now Media. It's full of Bible sources. It's, listen, it's full of kids' resources. I'm thinking I'm going to take it with me to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> because there are all kinds of kids' videos and those Bible studies. We're going to send that to you. Listen, all you got to do is follow the instructions on the email. You'll be subscribed. You have access to it all. We're giving that to you. That, you have no charge, no cost. But I will tell you, if we give it to you, you better use it. I'm getting kind of 
ahead of myself in this message, but if you got something, you better use it, right? So we're going to send it to you this afternoon. You'll see it. And what you'll see also there is the treasure principle. You can go through that Bible study. Don't. That doesn't mean you can check out on Sunday morning on me. You still got to come. But that may enhance your study as we read through this together, as we focus on this idea of giving. I hope that you'll take advantage of that. We'll give some more plugs for it in the next few weeks. But I hope that you'll take advantage of these great resources that you'll have. But Randy Alcorn in The Treasure Principle, he, re- he really reminds us of the scriptures that demonstrate God's ownership. Here, Psalm 8, yes, because he is the creator, but listen to the other scriptures that he cites. He says, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's. Oh, all cap, by the way, Yahweh's, our God's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In other words, everything is his. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty in Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 18. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. As Paul writes to the first, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. This is significant. That everything that we have is not really ours, it's his. He owns all things. Now, we pride ourselves so often on what we own, what we have. And we, and yes, I'm right there with you. I love it when something is paid off. Don't you? The bank has no say in it any longer. I know we got some bankers here. I'm sorry. If I offend you this morning, but I'm proud you don't own certain things in my house. It's wonderful. But even when we pay things off at the bank, let me say to you, you still don't own that. God does. God owns everything. You think you've achieved a great work because you can pay this? Listen, God owns all things. He owns everything in our lives. He owns our house. He owns our cars. He owns our camps. He owns our clothes. Listen, he owns our family. And yes, he owns us. That should revolutionize the way we look at those things. That should challenge us in the way we use those things. God is the owner of of all things. Just as James said, the passage I read last week, every good gift comes from above. Everything. The reason we are to we can achieve what we have is because God has given us the health, he has given us the breath, he has given us the energy, he has given us the resources. When you all trace it back, it's all God. God owns all things. So second truth. We are the overseers of God's stuff. Now, I wish I could have come up with a more theological word than stuff, but it seems applicable here. We are the overseers of God's stuff. Again, listen to what David says. David says, You have made him, that is man, a little lower than the angels. Now, I would take a little bit of, of exception to this translation. 
I went back and I studied it again, and some of you may have an asterisk there or so that directs you to another translation. I've always heard this translation, and I've always been comfortable with it, but going back and really looking at the original text, the word there is God. Instead of angels, it's Elohim, God. Now, I believe that those who are translating this were very concerned about comparing man to God, so they may have just translated it angels. They felt more comfortable with that. But listen to what David is saying. He says, you have made him a little lower than God. Now, we recognize we're a lot lower, okay? So don't get upset about, oh, we're just like, no. We recognize that there is a great distance between who God is and who we are. But note what he's saying here. He's saying, for you have made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. I think this goes back to the idea that, you, that man has been singled out in all of creation to be created in the image of God. When I look at Psalm 8, hopefully you'll see more similarities in a moment. I think there are a lot of similarities between Psalm 8 and Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in the original creation account, it says that God singled out man to bear his image. You and I, of all creation, bear the image of God. The imago Dei, as it's been called. The image of God. You and I, you have the image of God in you. I have the image of God in me. All people have some type of value because we intrinsically inherit the image of God. And note how the author of Genesis, I believe to be Moses, how he connected this idea of the image of God with the dominion or the stewardship over all creation. That's exactly what David's doing. And that's the reason I think David is drawing upon this idea that we have a role to play. A role to play. We have been given a, a unique role Unlike any other part of creation, we have been given a role to play where we oversee, we steward, or in Alcorn's language, we manage what God has given us. He's given us this role. He has given us this responsibility. So here God comes to us and he says, okay, I own this stuff. But I'm going to give it to you for you to oversee, for you to manage, for you to be a good steward. I'm giving this stuff in your life so that you can use it appropriately. So everything I have is on loan from God. Again, this makes a difference in our lives. Or it should. When you know you're using other people's resources... When you're using something else that belongs to someone else, 
it should really speak to you in the way that you use it. Let me give you a concrete example. Let's say yesterday, my mower broke down. That would be a bad day for a mower to break down. Because rain is going to encompass us for the next 14 weeks, right? I don't know if you've seen the forecast, but it seems like that. And I was thinking to myself, we've got to get this mode. I've got certain people in our neighborhood that are templeites that would want to run me out of this place if we don't look nice and we mow, so we got to mow. Let's say we were mowing, we got half the yard done, and all of a sudden my mower broke. Well, immediately I would go across the street to Don Mears. And I would knock on Don's door probably, and I would say, Don, do you have a mower that I could borrow? And Don would say, you would say, yes, I'm proud of you. I wanted you to say it in public so if it ever happens. <laughs> See, notice I went to Don. There are other people in our neighborhood. I mean, there's Bill back there and there's Reagan over here. And I mean, there are certain people I just wouldn't go to because I know they'd say no. But <clears throat> Don is a nice guy. He would let me borrow it. So I would borrow it. We'd go out. And although we've been getting hazed that we're training him, I'd probably say, hey, is this one I better do myself? You know, let me get on this. And, and, and I would make sure that I didn't, like, hit the roots in my yard. I would try to make sure that I was extra careful because I was on Don's mower. I wouldn't want to come back and have it just... Now, I know some of you, some of you probably don't care of, or take care of things like that for other people, but you should. I mean, we should think about it. So we're trying to be careful. I would give an extra consideration to whose this was and how it was used. And also, I know that Don would be watching me out the window to make sure I'm doing it right. So take this for a moment. God owns everything. He owns it all. He has just given us these things. He has just given it to us as a loan for us to oversee, for us to steward. So if it's God's, it makes a difference in the way I use it. If I know that He is watching me constantly in the way that I use it, it also challenges me. Because I am an overseer. I am a steward. You want an example? You go back to the Old Testament. I think one of the greatest examples of stewardship is found in the life of Joseph. Now, I just started a series on Joseph this last Wednesday night. And I will say to you, if you're not coming on Wednesday, you're missing a blessing. Where can you find a meal deal for that on Wednesday night? And how can you get that good of a meal as Glenda orchestrates it and gets it ready for it? How can you do that? And then you can sit back, you can study and look at the life of Joseph. Hope that you'll come and, and be with us in that. But Joseph is a great example of a steward. Remember, Joseph is sold into slavery by his siblings, by his brothers. He goes down to Egypt. He is sold to the house of Potiphar. And this is what the scripture says. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house 
and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And, and I love this part, verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. The Egyptian that had enslaved him, put him over the house, trusted him so much that he didn't even know what he really possessed. Joseph took care of things. You read through the rest of the examples. When he's in prison, what does he do? He becomes like a trustee. He takes care of things. Later on, when God exalts him to the second place of authority in all of the world, he takes care of things. He takes the Egyptian grain and he rations it appropriately for the people so that they'll be able to withstand a drought. I say that if you want to look at the life of a steward, go to Joseph. He didn't own any of that, but he used what was given appropriately. Well, again, David... David says in, in Psalm 8, he says, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the path of the seas. David said, You've given all things to us. We have dominion over all things. We have a role to play, but we also have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to all creation. We have a responsibility to treat all creation appropriately. To use it in ways that would benefit the kingdom of God. Everything that we have. In the next few weeks, we're going to move down. We're going to talk about specifically how we can take certain things in our lives. And we can use it in a in a positive stewardship for Christ. And I hope that you'll be here for that. But this morning, I just want you to... God owns all things. And He has made us overseers of all His stuff. That we would use it wisely. I want to leave you with this. The primary purpose of this stuff and our responsibility before Him the primary responsibility or the primary thing that we should be noting in our lives is making His name great among all communities and all nations. Because David, he begins with this praise of the majestic name of God and he comes back in verse 9 and he closes in the same fashion. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. In other words, in the way I treat your creation, I treat other people, I treat the things in my life, the, God, may that enhance your fame in all of the world. May that increase your name in all the world. You see, I believe 
When we do what we're called to do, and when we help creation do what it's called to do, God himself is ultimately glorified. The glory of his name spreads across the continents. And that should be our aim. Think of it. The glory of his name. The glory of his name to all people. That when things do what they are designed to do, that they enhance his name. You know, again, I'm just kind of one of these practical guys. How does this uh, really apply to me? How can I illustrate these things? I, I was thinking of it this last week. I was thinking about it this morning. I said, you know, let, let's, let's think of it this way. Let's say that I decided on my own that I'm going to come up with a new smartphone. I don't know what it's going to be called. I mean, I would certainly include Reggie in it because that's just a good name. And um, I don't know everything else. There was the Blackberry and then there was the Apple. So I guess something like a pear or something. The Reggie pear. I said, maybe I could do that. And I, I would put out a word. I put out a word to everybody. Hey, come this day and I want you to see the Reggie pair. I want you to see the smartphone. Now, some of you haven't been around me probably. But I'm a little bit illiterate when it comes to technology. I'll tell you what, some people need to get their heart right, but in this place, maybe this is not an interactive message. But let's say that I called you all together, and man, I put out word, and I'm sure nobody else would come beside y'all, but you know, I'd put out word, y'all would come, and I would come up here and I would say, Now, I want to show you, I want to demonstrate what it'll do, and I begin to press on buttons, and, and yes, you wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. You wouldn't go away from this place talking about, well, you might be talking about Reggie, but in a disparaging way. You wouldn't be talking about, oh, look what he can do. Look how awesome it is. The Reggie pair, that's the new way to go. You wouldn't be doing that because it had failed. It didn't do what it was designed to do. May I just say this to you? I know that's just a simple kind of crazy. When you manage God's possessions in your life the way you should, when, those, when all of creation does what it was created to do, you know who gets the glory out of it? God. His name. David says, how excellent is your name in all the earth. In other words, your fame spreads. God, you're the one who owns things. And yes, again, remember, our God is the one who owns things. And we're just called to manage it, to oversee it. And when we manage it appropriately, when it does what it's supposed to do, when we do what we're supposed to do, then what happens is His name is glorified among all people. And that should be our aim. That should be our prayer, is that as we manage the possessions of God, what God has given us, then all of creation should sing forth in the glory of God because His name is above all others. You and I need to realize that all that we have is from Him. And He still owns it. We're just managing it.
for his kingdom purposes. When we do that, we see the kingdom of God advanced. And we see his name glorified as it should be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for the blessings. God, we couldn't have achieved this on our own. It is not by our works, but it is by your grace that we have what we do. God, challenge us here this morning. Speak to us this morning. Lord, begin to deal with our hearts in the way that we use it to advance your kingdom and not our own. God, until all people cry out, how excellent is your name. Until that moment, may we not be satisfied with our efforts, with our mission, with our purpose. But may we continue to strive for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?